I'm Jay Outway. My name is Jack Outway. And this is the Father-Son Podcast. Where we talk about all things Dungeons and Dragons. We have made it to the final episode of our 100-episode celebration, um, where we count down 101 things to do in D&D before you die. It is our massive bucket list, and although we've sort of been teasing this as if there was like an ultimate uh, some sort of ranking topic. system to this there's yeah. no ranking there's system. no ranking system these are all just things equally and that you should i'm give not sure if the top 10 are necessarily if like we really sat down and ranked them all through would always be my top 10 but these are the ones that ended up at this end of the list and we still we still think these are great things yeah these are still 10 things you should definitely try and do in your game 10 worthwhile things um, to do. whether they are the top 10 of the 101 is debatable um I think That's it's very pressure, hard to you know? choose of this 101, which are the very best. I think you do the entire list. I think it's a yeah, the, the bigger though. challenge on this is how many of the 101 can you do? Or have you already done? Uh, maybe done them all. Yeah. Uh, points. Everybody should like score themselves on this. I'd be surprised go if you did all of these. But again, um, go give it a go. Yeah. Um, starting with number 10 on our final countdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is, uh, this is uh, I feel this should be top 10. Uh, use tumble, push aside, climb onto creature, disarm, overrun, overrun, mark, uh, and possibly mark. Uh, you're, if you're sitting out there going, what are these things? These are action options. These are actions you can take on your turn. Uh, they are <laughs> they are set aside though as combat options in the DM guide. Mm. They are not generally introduced to new players. Many DMs uh, ignore them. Uh, forget about them don't even know they exist i don't know why mm. this i think this is part of keep trying to keep fifth edition simpler and easier to learn um hey as of the actions that already exist people still don't use you know uh hide or search or uh, object interactions or dodge nearly or enough. help nearly enough anyways so um adding even more to it would be like oh my god what are we doing um but let's talk through some of these because i think these are big uh really big game changers for D D. um and for p- people who've been playing for a while there is absolutely no reason you shouldn't have these in the game mm-hmm. um the first one on the list is actually climb onto a bigger creature and it's not an action is it um, it's just a thing you can do well yeah I mean it's listed as action options but the idea here is and maybe it would take an action I don't know uh, if one creature wants to jump onto another creature it can do so by grappling essentially I see a small or medium creature has little chance of making accessible grapple against a huge or gargantuan creature however un- unless the magic was somehow granted to them as an alternative, right? So say, you know, you're trying to grapple this big thing and you're like, oh, there's no way strength-wise we can do this. But as an alternative, a suitably large opponent can be treated as terrain for the purpose of jumping onto its back or climbing onto a limb. Mm. It effectively uses the same sort of grappling rules, except there's a little bit of a change. 
So after making an ability check necessary to get into position on the larger creature, the smaller creature uses its action, so yes, it is a full action, to make a strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics check contested by the target's acrobatics check. If you're a DM and you're actually not a big fan of contested rules and there's a reason why you might want not to be, it's sort of really unfair to the player. Um, you could also just use this as a sort of a passive uh, acrobatics check on the, in the it's basically setting a DC for your players to, to hit instead. And it could also speed this up by reducing the number of rolls you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so your smaller, more dexterous character versus a big, slow, lumbering thing which dexterity tends to be weaker on, um, probably sort of a passive DC number of something probably in the range of 11 to 13, which for a dexterous character should be easy enough to do. And so suddenly you have a really fun situation where your halfling or your nimble rogue or whatever is running up the back of a Tarrasque. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that you see, especially in large-scale big fights. I don't know why not. I mean, it's such a fun idea of being able to climb up onto creatures or zip up onto them and, and do whatever. Right and then it says, it's yeah, cool. the smaller creature can now move around within the larger creature's space. Um, it be, is it difficult terrain at all, or is it? Uh, if it wins the contest, the smaller creature successfully moves into the creature's space, clinging to its body. While in the target space, the smaller creature moves within the the moves with the target so if the thing starts running around you're on it just like you're in a mounted combat situation and you gain advantage on attack rolls against it yay for your rogue um yeah for anybody right uh the smaller creature can move around within the larger creature's space treating it as difficult terrain so yes your movement is halved um which is fine i mean you're not going anywhere you just want to like stay on the back of this thing at this point the larger creature's ability to attack the smaller creature depends on the smaller creature's location and this is completely then up to the DM's discretion. The larger creature can dislodge the smaller creature as an action, maybe knock it off, scraping against the wall, grabbing it, throwing it, making a wing attack against it, you know, whatever tail attack, whatever the, like, the bigger creature's anatomy might allow for. Um, and, and yeah, at that point, then it's like a strength check versus a, uh, a contested check against the, uh, the mm. PCs, athletics or the acrobatics. Yeah. And then that works out kind of fair for the, the player to go and have a contested role that way. Mm. Uh, I think I'd like to do sometimes. I used to run a campaign with a lot of big creatures and them climbing. The creature would grab onto their back and fling the players off if they could. Um, and that was always a fun dexterity saving throw to avoid the hand and then a strength saving throw to avoid being launched through the air, um, which would usually be very bad. Because they would be hit some sort of tree or wall and take a whole bunch of forced or you know bludgeoning damage. Or... How fun is that on the map to see your mm. your mini get chucked across it by a, or a huge creature? Or even they'd throw them back at the party. And oh, that'd be then there'd funny. be a, a terrible. And how there. and how cinema cinematographic is that sort of you know that that's like you know that's the sort of movie cinematic, type scene yeah. cinematics or thank you um, of that sort of you know action sequence of the monster chucking you know using a player as a mm. as a a weapon. missile weapon it's, yeah, it's like funny. that's awesome a couple other actions you can take yeah disarm mm, what's wrong with this one? one i mean the, god you do not need a feat or a uh to be a battle master to do this in theory anybody should be able to do this a creature can use a weapon attack to knock a weapon of another uh or another item from a target's grasp and another item is so great on this as well right mm. i mean how many 
like epic scenes you have with somebody like holding up some sort of item to be opening a portal or something and you just want to knock that out of their hands or whatever knock yeah. a potion or something out of their hands magic item and again it's suggesting a contested role you could set this up even as a dc of basically a strength or doing this to your players is fun as well having yeah. minions not focused on doing any sort of damage but disarming the players oh my god and if you've got a, if you've got a whole bunch of little like blights running around or whatever and you know you get a bunch of tiny creatures by the way on the other one climbing up onto your players it's creepy yeah yeah as well. well yeah swarms that occupy your player space is, is brutal they're not even swarm just like little creatures that are just going up and crawling yeah, on you it's exactly. like get off me it's gross um sturges i don't know well, um, I think twig blights. I use them yeah, that way. They're really them. gross. It's terrible. Um, mm. And basically, yeah, if the attacker wins this contest, the attack Again, causes... make it a DC save, whatever, right? Yeah, the attack causes uh, no damage or other ill effect, but the defender drops the item. Mm. Now, typically, we... In most of the rules in the game, when something gets disarmed, it immediately falls at the feet. Now, I would still say that there's... Every player still gets a free object interaction... Um, to do something, you know, small like kick a sword. Mm-hmm. Um, so even it drops at the feet. If 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 it's if you're right there beside him when you disarmed it, you can give it a kick, and we can randomize how far that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit, and and that might be just enough for that creature then to have to to not be able to to get to their weapon very easily, mm-hmm. or they have to break away from you and they'll pick it up and they have to come back or whatever. And these things can be useful for for triggering all sorts of other abilities you might have. Mm. Um, yeah, um, for sure. I think lots of fun ones with disarming creatures, especially in situations where it's like, get that plus two whatever sort of. And then suddenly now also that little throwaway line, if you can summon it back to your hand, is now very useful for people yeah. who are like, yeah, I bet your Hexblade Warlock's like, you can't disarm me. You physically are unable to. And you go, wow, so cool and edgy and whatever. But you know what I mean? It, it's a fun scenario. Well, and it's it's sort of terrifying, the idea of these little things that, you know, okay, now if it's smaller than you, it actually has disadvantage at disarming you. Yeah, um, but if it's bigger than you, it has advantage. So it has one big creature that disarms you and then a whole bunch of little ones that grab the, the, the weapon and run off with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, what a scenario you've suddenly created for your players now. Um, mm. And so it makes them wonder, why am I carrying all these extra weapons if I'm only ever using one? Well, what if somebody takes one away from you? Or in the case of your Hexblade or Eldritch Knights or whoever that you've got, you know, or your new barbarians or whatever that can bring weapons back to their hands and suddenly like, ta-da, that thing actually has something you can do with it. Very useful. Um, uh, over other actions, yeah. Overrun. Overrun is for big tough guys and mm-hmm. again strength players don't often get a lot of options you know grappling is something you're often encouraged to try and do and again it's made better if you drop the contested role and you make it versus a a Set, passive dc, DC. Like a passive dc yeah um as a, an action or or a bonus action which is kind of interesting with overrun mm-hmm. um the mover makes a strength check versus the strength of the target the hostile creature Mm. and so basically you're going to try and bulldoze your way through the hostile creature's space the creature attempting the overrun has advantage on its check if it's larger disadvantage if it's smaller so that's sort of consistent rules now if the mover wins it can basically just move through the hostile creature's space once this turn 
no big deal besides basically using burning your action to go through a hostile creature space. Now, on most of our maps, when we start with beginners, you can't move through a bad guy's space. But this is essentially saying, okay, well, look, your massive, super strong fighter or barbarian or whatever is going to be able to push their way through uh, if they make a little contested check here. And if they're they're strong, so why wouldn't they be able to? Mm. Um, especially if the creature that is smaller than them, like if it's a, you know, you, your big Goliath versus a kobold, why can't I move through his space? Yeah, why not? Of course you can. Here's the rule for it. It's easy. Now, maybe you want to do something else slightly different. There's the shove aside option, which is a bit like the shove attack. But the shove attack currently works linearly, like whatever direction you're facing, you push the creature that direction, right? Mm -hmm. um, shove aside's fun because you actually get to move them laterally, which is great. That's great. Uh, now, um, the attacker on this one has a disadvantage, it says, on its strength athletics check when it tries to move you sideways. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit harder to push somebody sideways than it is to push them straight back. And that makes sense, I guess. Um, but if your uh, shove attack with disadvantage is successful, you get to choose you know, which left or right you push uh, them yeah. five feet instead. Uh, and this can be this can be really again useful for helping the whole party move mm -hmm. through a particular space. You could shove aside a friend as well, yeah. and and yeah. get them out of melee reach of something else. You know, that's like, isn't that fantastic as well? And that's one where uh, the other side can choose to fail their mm -hmm. um, their their check, or maybe not. Maybe again, you you set passive numbers on this for your player to have to give, you know, and, and that changes things as well. They can't fail it and changes the dynamic on the board. So the, you know, as a, as your DMing skills get better, you'll be able to, to, to understand in which situations you want, how you want to apply this mm -hmm. to make it fun and challenging for a player, but not so hard that it, it never works. Um, which always, it's always good to add a little dimension of unknowability to yeah. things that add, just makes the story more fun. Mm, for sure um lots of fun stuff there there's one controversial one well before we get to that okay, there's okay. there's the option here now for those who are dexterous to move through spaces and that's the tumble feet mm. so it's the same as overrun essentially but this time you're you know ducking or weaving past your opponent cartwheeling mm -hmm. parkouring uh sliding through their legs right. whatever and it's easier if they're bigger right yeah so as an action or bonus action which i love that both of these are also set up as bonus actions yeah very cool which is really great for moving through a creature's space as a bonus action and still being have your action to do an attack is brilliant mm. or you've used your bonus action to do something and you still want to do this yeah. you can you have the option and, and so the tumbler makes a dexterity acrobatics check and is contested by the acrobatics of the other, the dexterity of the other creature. Both using testing dexterity. And again, or you set uh, a DC on this one. Up to you. How do you want to do this? If you set the DC, it's a little bit easier for the part player. So you could actually even up that a little bit if you want it. Um, or you can do the contested. But contested rules, actually, the way they work out, fail for players more than set, set DCs do. Mm -hmm. um, which is can be really sucky if you've got a very dexterous character. Like, they shouldn't be failing that much. Mm -hmm. um, they should, you know, be able to play to their strengths. Anyways, if the tumbler wins, yay! They can move through the hostile creature's space. And actually, this one doesn't have any size 
uh, bits to it, interestingly, because you sort of think, think a halfling right, yeah. um, would be able to do it more easily. But Or like even like a big creature, you'd be able to run through its legs a little bit. And that's easier, an but... easy table rule to set sure. up as well. If there's if the creature is two sizes bigger than you or something, then it's easier to move you through get, it or yeah, something. Advantage or I don't know, whatever. Um, or conversely, I mean, if it's smaller, but then you can jump over it or whatever. Oh, so. I guess that's probably the reason why then. Yeah, it's probably um, interesting. Now, there is one controversial one amongst these. You kind of changed my mind a little bit on it, though. I think this is an interesting one, and and we'll get into this also into through what we have coming up next. So as you start to get down to understanding, there's like three actions that you get in a round your action your bonus action and your reaction mm -hmm. uh, putting aside some free object stuff that might happen so three in a bit 3.5 things you can do there's movement but whatever. Uh, and there's movement i suppose yes um but of the on the action front of things the reactions are the reactions are pretty cool to have um and to be able to use them to do various things holding an action then usually burns your reaction or and there's a few things like this that you know, you trade off one thing for another, um, depending where you want to move it around. And this is a big part of what how 5e kind of works and how you do tactics in your head and decide, you know, weighing out what would be, you know, to your best advantage. And this is the fun part of the game. Um, so what Mark does is that this option makes it easier for melee combatants to harry each other with opportunity attacks. Now, I also like this because, first of all, being a melee combatant in this game makes you less effective let's face it range attackers in this in D, D, they have less at stake they're less on the line and they can drop bombs from out from far away um the game is is skewed to me make range attackers more powerful and mm -hmm. because dexes are more invested in stat they tend to do better and strength is often so if you got a melee attacker and you decide to play that character on the board good for you your party needs you and uh, you've probably been given a slightly shorter stick than you think. This is a nice little extra boon for melee combatants. So opportunity attacks are a big part of what we're thinking about as a melee combatant, where we place ourselves, whether we can disengage and they don't get one, or whether we can said shove aside, or how we can get opportunity attacks or not get opportunity attacks taken against us. So what you're going to do is when, uh, so when your your character makes a melee attack, it can also decide to mark that target right and you have to kind of declare that and then until the end of the attackers uh, your character's next turn any opportunity attack it makes against the mark target has advantage yeah uh which is pretty cool so if that if that target tries to move away from you you get to roll two dice to hit it um the opportunity attack that you you make also against the mark target does not expend the attacker's reaction very nice um it saves your reaction if you want to if you especially if you've got a fighter with maybe an interception kind of thing or perhaps you've still gotten a ready attack well i guess marking is part i don't know whatever right you think about all the different things you want to do with your reaction maybe you're a bit of a gish you know and you like to still have access to that shield you know or that whatever reaction spell that you yeah still want because to do. because here's the caveat right the the attacker you your character um even though you've marked this thing you are still limited to one opportunity attack per turn uh -huh. um so you can't hit this thing twice mm -hmm. you know you can't use this and your reaction to hit it twice 
Um, but because it says per turn, you could actually still use your reaction to do another opportunity attack on another on another creature's turn as it moves past you. Mm -hmm. So it it does allow your melee combatants to do make a lot more. Now you can again you can use this on your monsters as well. They can hit a player a PC and mark them. Mm -hmm. and that gives them kind of almost like two reactions suddenly now. disengaging is a whole lot more valuable as well sure does um and it does make it a little bit more complicated as a dm to keep track of who's been marked by whom well let the players keep track of it right sure that's the way i'd probably lean towards um well but even if your own monsters are marking oh, right, things sure. you've got yeah, to sort I of like that, yeah. you know, keep track of these things in your head a little bit especially if you've got a few of them and they're doing this um, and you would ask yourself, well, why wouldn't I mark with every melee attack? Well, you would, actually. That's, point. Yeah. That's kind of it. And it, it basically starts increasing the... the power of, of melees, right? Yeah. Like yeah. If, you, if you think about how much in this game, we've talked about it a little bit, range is superior because you're just not taking damage that melees you're taking, right? If you're up there and in the front of it, you're going to be being hit back, right? Yeah. Where unless there's another range enemy... You're probably being you're probably safe from you sure. know the, the immediate you know you're not seen as the immediate threat right where often the the melee is is right up in your face it's the easier thing to deal with right um, by this doing is... this you're giving you're turning some of that power to melee characters yeah um, and that and that sort of balance and it it's also for storytelling like combat that it's okay just my turn I swing my sword and maybe I get this opportunity attack and are opportunity attacks really part of this yes they are you've got to really see mm -hmm. opportunity attacks as so much more a part of this hand-to-hand -hand combat that is going on right it's a d very dynamic sort of amount of fighting and, and those opportunity attacks are a huge part of the melee character's story on the battlefield of things that are going on and giving those those melee combatants one sort of extra reaction essentially um in here against anything they've and, but again, it still has to be against something that they've made a melee attack against. Now, you might start to find that as a fighter, you have more than one melee attack per turn. You may be marking different creatures. You could be or, marking two now. Sure, maybe. Uh, or you, again, are focus firing one. I mean, it's up to you. Yeah, right? I mean, there's a, you could be surrounded by a bunch of things, but this now lets you take attacks against potentially two targets or three um, yeah, you around multiple, you yeah. that are moving in or moving away and and yeah those sort of things can uh can really increase your your fighter your paladin your barbarian uh your ranger whoever is sort of stuck in those sort of places gives them a lot more uh sort of ability to swing their weapons and i think that's fun it is very fun um speaking of reactions Yes. Yeah, so moving on, that's uh, that's uh, all I have to say about advanced actions. But only took us twenty minutes. <laughs> put all your advanced actions in. What's a big topic? It is a big um, topic. Yeah. But yeah, number, number nine, nine, do more with your reactions. Yeah. Um, Add more mm -hmm. types of things into this. And this kind of again is is tangentially connected to the idea of adding new actions to the game or using reactions in a new way. I mean, we've talked about this in in multiple different podcasts. There's existing things in the rules to give you stuff, more stuff to do with your reaction. It's such a val valuable and sometimes undervalued uh, tool in the game, right? Reaction spells, you know, readying things. It's thinking more tactically, but how can you even, with homebrew, elevate the role of the reaction in your game? Yeah, and 
and I know you in your game have added a lot more stuff mm -hmm. in. Uh, in mine, I especially with beginning players and things, as part of a a speed rounds up and things like that, and make people, you know, if I want to try and go a little bit faster, I often worry a little bit that especially newer players forget kind of to do one. They want to do stuff on their turn. And I don't want to have to every time ask them, okay, have you done everything and wait for a minute? I'd be just like, okay, moving on. If you have forgotten to do something that you wanted to do on your turn, at the end, and I often say at the end of an ally's turn, but I'd be fine if you want to do it at the end of any other creature's turn, you can use your reaction to do whatever action it was on your turn that you forgot to do. Mm -hmm. It becomes like a legendary action a little bit at that point. But in terms of total action economy, we haven't actually broken the game because that was something that you could have done on your turn anywho. Yeah, we're not talking about a scenario where someone takes their whole turn and then gets a whole reactions turn. and gets a whole turn. This is someone who didn't do their bonus yeah. action or didn't do their action on their turn and is now using their reaction to do that. And so you're basically giving up one of the three action spaces you have mm -hmm. anyways but you're, you're regaining that thing that you missed out on. Mm -hmm. And this makes a gain. This is about having fun at the table. Um, and it also changes up the dynamic because basically you've kind of done something later in the initiative order and that's kind of fun. And then that this leads to the idea of like, well, why don't we just let people do actions on their reactions whenever? And then it just takes out that- they didn't do their action yeah. on their turn. And it takes out the component of saying, okay, I'm going to ready the action and set a trigger for it which is kind of how it's set up. So being a little bit more loosey-goosey and saying, okay, you, maybe you don't have to call it. Maybe you just leave your action out of it and then you just pull it up whenever you want later. And does that break the game? No, it does not, actually. It makes a very much more dynamic and surprising game because mm -hmm. people can hold their stuff kind of secret and then can throw it in. Or can change their mind on what they wanted to hold, right? I mean, it really allows for flexibility in the way that, because the game changes so often, right? I mean, in one, two turns, the whole landscape can change and maybe your held action doesn't make any sense anymore and so now you do something else right yeah, and it's it, it makes a more flexible dynamic table yeah again this isn't for beginners this gets messy very fast this is for people who probably have some dming experience themselves who understand the mm -hmm. order of initiative how things are moving at the table and can kind of r decide when to throw in that cool big surprise hero moment from their character and as a DM, you want to lean into those hero moments. You want players to have those epic things. When they do that and they surprise you and they change the whole thing, describe it super cool or let them describe it super mm -hmm. cool. Um, that's what you're here to do, bud. This is this is how we're going to play it. And if you think that's really unfair things, give another 10 HP to your, your monster or something. I right, don't know. Sure. Like, you know, yeah. buff something like... It, always this is how D&D works. Like it, it, you can balance this out. It's still about just having cool moments at the table that we walk away from thinking that was awesome. Mm. Yeah, more things to do with reactions. In one game, they were getting pretty high level, and I like the idea, especially at higher level play, give players more access to reactions. I mean, I gave them two reactions per round instead of just one, right? I mean, it really changed the way in which you approach things like counter spells and you approach things like, you know, I introduced parrying as well in that game and using weapons or shields or whatever to deflect incoming attacks. Um, it was it was a unique thing that changed the way combat worked. Enemies, I gave them multiple reactions as well. Um, of course, your similar idea with Mark, you can't opportunity attack twice in one turn, but you can maybe 
use your opportunity attack, and you can later use your reaction to parry on that same turn, right? It, it changes the way you think about using reactions, and in some cases, there are those aha moments where it's like, you can't counterspell because you already did this, and you're like, oh, you're right, you know, and it's my fault, or whatever, right? But I think giving more reactions is kind of freeing in thinking about this combat is all about being fluid and moving and doing these different things. I don't know, I think it's a great idea if you want to elevate your play in a very simple way um, that makes compact much combat much more reactive. Um, I don't know, it, it's a cool suggestion. Um, and number, I think it definitely, yeah, I mean, just to yeah, underline this sure. again, okay. this is, this is, uh, this isn't about being careful about action economy and understanding how that works on the, on the table and that the more time something acts, the more powerful it becomes. And so keep in mind as you're doing this, you know, you may want to increase the number of actions your character creatures have as well. And effectively what you end up doing is you can almost be having two rounds of act, level of amount of actions happening in one round and it's just about a, understanding the dynamic a little bit about that and you know learning from your experience as you play with this mm. um very much so another thing that you learn through experience especially if you're a rogue or or someone even not even a rogue i'd say number eight learn yeah. to hide properly yeah, I'm. I've become a bit of stickler for this. Like, don't get me wrong. I I play a lot of in a lot of tables where this is a little bit loosey goosey, uh, and again, it depends on sort of the experience of your players. If they are more experienced players, I would insist that you get a bit tougher. Uh, how the hide uh, action works? How does this, the hide action work? This is not invisibility, folks. Mm. This is not magic. First of all. Um, you cannot hide in the same place twice in the same spot on the map we're using a tactical map if you've hidden there once you now have to move and hide somewhere else on your next turn i'm talking to you rogues particularly we are not you cannot hide in one spot pop out and shoot and then hide in the same spot again they all know where you're hiding hide is this idea that so every everything on the board during a combat situation you have 360 degree combat awareness you can see everything around you at all times and so can the bad guys what hide is essentially saying you've done as you make that stealth check is that somehow you've managed to deke dive slip behind something in such a way that not only can it not see you, it doesn't know well, where you are. Well, some things, based on line of sight and their perception, and passive perception, have lost track of you for six seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, or as long as you stay without in that spot without moving or shooting, right? The minute that you take a shot from that space. Or attack or remove, right. uh, move and, away. And so that. if you're taking a shot from this space as well, so you've got to you can only be if you're gonna be hiding and attacking from that space you can't have co full cover right if you have full cover you can't shoot through full cover right so you need something that's effectively three quarters cover to be hiding behind mm -hmm. unless you have a uh skulker's feet skulker yes um and you can be lightly or yeah or there's like wood elves get it or mm -hmm. there's a few other ways you can get mad i think it's mask of the wild um where you can it, you could effectively be uh, half covered lightly obscured mm -hmm. um these terms are a little mushy and as a dm you're gonna have to rule against how much cover they have in that space mm -hmm. um 
And so as a rogue, you're going to need at least two spots to hide behind that you can move back and forth between. Um, so if you have the skulker feet and you shoot from hiding and you miss, you still stay hidden, which is pretty cool. Otherwise, in every other situation, if you shoot from that space while hiding, hit or miss, your Everyone position now is knows revealed. where you are. They know where you are again. Now, you can hide, take the hide action and only be hidden from certain things in certain directions that can't see you in that space. Um, but you got to keep them as a DM other things in mind. If your rogue is carrying a torch, which they wouldn't if they were doing uh, range, wanting to do range attacks, but say they've got light on them or something like that, and it's a darkened place and they've gone to hide behind something that lightly obscures them, but they have light lighting them up back there, no, you cannot hide. There's got to, you've got to understand other situations where you are, your position is going to be given away. And in any of those situations, stealth check or not, they are not hiding. You can't hide in plain sight. You can't hide in a way that you're being revealed um, by something. So keep those things in mind as a DM. Now, a lot of times you've got enough stuff on the board to worry about that you just let the rogue get away with making a stealth check versus the DC of a passive perception. Mm -hmm. And it's done. It's easy enough. Um, but I think it's that puts it so close towards being a magical ability that uh it, it becomes i mean why not everybody should play a rogue then because it's just so damn easy to do and and basically the only reason we're doing this is try and well everyone can hide we're trying to get advantage on our attack roll and with that advantage automatically sneak attack damage or let's even think about outside of the rogue why advantage would be useful i mean it's yeah. useful for spell attacks it's useful for it melee is. stuff i mean it's useful for everything um right? but the rogue gets the the cool advantage of being able to essentially on their turn hide move, and then attack bonus action attack although technically the way you want to do it the order you want to do it is why okay well this is so that it it protects you on the in-betweeny bits so your your thing is to basically well, I guess attack move hide so from the hidden position you know, on the from the previous turn you make your attack roll. It reveals you, or if you're a skulker, it doesn't. You can stay there and do it next turn. Um, it reveals you, and at that point, then you are no longer hidden in that space. You have to move, and you make your next bonus action hide roll. Now, this is great too because when you're hidden on the battlefield like that, um, you can't be. You're not. You can't be targeted. You can't. You're, you're unseen at that point, mm -hmm. um, and and that's that's greatly to your advantage uh as a rogue and you're and being a glass cannon or even if, if people who like I, I could see a sorcerer who wants to hide all the time and not be sure. demolished as a little squishy yeah way, you know, the problem is that you, it, it does use your your action uh to hide what if you're a goblin it's a bonus action uh, goblins do get hide as well yep they right? do they yeah. certainly do and that's that's, fun one. that's super fun so playing a goblin sorcerer is great because then you do have the this bonus action to hide yeah and you do the same thing you you make your attack roll move hide mm -hmm. that's how you properly do this you you know although it, you could on your turn in theory move use your bonus action to hide then they lose track of you and then make an attack roll mm -hmm. but then you're exposed and then sure. you know it's it's not you've got a whole you know round to go of you standing out there in the open there knowing where you are mm. um or what if you move hide hold your action to attack sure <laughs> well here's the thing as well now okay so say it's only half cover or say it's a, a various sort of things um part of the move then hide thing might also be having to drop prone 
to take advantage of of cover mm-hmm. um, and that that is something you can do as well um, it does mean that you're going to be if you're going to be attacking you'll be making a straight roll next time because although you're unseen and get advantage you're prone which means you get disadvantage on your attack rolls um, but that could actually still work out to your favor you could still get sneak attack bonus if you're shooting at something with an ally standing within five feet of it mm-hmm. um, maybe you've got sharpshooter maybe sure. you've got I don't know um, other things that you might want to do um, that make you know that help even that out a little bit yeah I mean this is all to say that learning to hide also is another thing that can elevate your play even if you're not playing a sneaky character yeah absolutely. take the hide action when you need to it's not just reserved for your unscrupulous you know your devious rogues it's for everyone hiding is for everyone and 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 yeah and you can hide in in if the creatures don't have uh, uh, any sort of dark vision you can hide in darkness or as a mage who is invisible take the hide action still why not yeah absolutely uh then it makes... fully... and then you get that well, i mean i guess you get advantage you're unseen attacker already but, but still now you really can't be targeted or, or tracked or whatever right yeah i don't know it's an interesting thing to consider now if something is hiding keep in mind also you can and oh gosh i wish rangers had this as a bonus action um you can search to action them. search sure. yep and if you action search and go he's hiding in the bushes then you're no longer unseen and everybody can target you. Mm, good for minions to be doing as well if you've got a lot of sneaky players who like to be sneaky. Yeah. Um, uh, so mm. so these are the hide rules. They add a lot more dynamic to it. It makes your rogue less of a superhero because suddenly they're not just magically disappearing into things. Also makes the skulker feat so much more worth having. Mm. Um, and again, it's an overlooked feat that I think a lot of people ignore if you're not playing. I Why think would what you it should do... Hide it, rules are really easy. I think as a DM, I would rule it where it's a half feat where you still get a plus one to dexterity and then it would be worth it for me. But, well, I think it, the rules as written the way it sets it up is that suddenly you can hide in dim light, which is crazy. Yeah, like if that's, the, if that's the case, if that's all you need to obscure you is dim dimly lit i mean holy cow then it becomes like that becomes a superpower feat crazy pretty cool uh anyways mm. yeah another superpower that you might have as character is this idea of never being hit whether you're hiding or you've got an amazing armor class and we've had an art an episode about this recently but number seven on our list is getting your ac above 21 as a character yeah um, it, look it's uh it's a, it's a bounded challenge. accuracy where it's set d- does not with regular armor uh, allow you to get there. Mm. Uh, something you're going to have to start working the system a little bit. Um, and even like full, like getting proper plate uh, armor is expensive. Yeah, plate armor doesn't, and it doesn't and offer it as any starting equipment. You'll have yeah, to find it or to buy, buy it your or, way to that. Yeah. And it, and that's non-magical armor, although it's beautifully expensive. Um, <laughs> it's a great gift to, to if players are like, what are we going to spend our money on? Let's buy the paladins and full plate. Yeah. Um, those are the ways, though, to get your AC above 21. And we've got a whole episode detailing of it. But why as a player should I do this? What is the what is the motivation or the, the achievement here? Well, I, I guess I guess the, the achievement is to sort of see how high you can go with it. Hmm. The, the idea with this is to try and push it just about as far as you think you can. Now, magic will probably factor into this. Magic items, there's a number of different rings and cloaks of protection. And perhaps and even for one turn only, you will have this amazing AC. Maybe. You know, but uh, magic, uh, you might have armor that takes it up and magic shields that take it up. Probably uh, there's a maximum of plus three on those things, but those things stack. Um, 
you can also yeah take defensive feats you can mm. there's uh as a bard using your flourish you can give yourself at higher levels like a d12 to your ac and brace can give you another d8 and then or sorry, there's bait and switch and there's so many things you can do to bump and crank up your ac even if it's only for a single turn um it's it's it really gives you this this invincibility almost it, the table it, it does and, like and, and for good reason because because of the way bounded accuracy is sort of set up within a very tight range of what people can do on dice rolls for attack rolls, mm -hmm. um, getting a number above 21 on the dice gets harder and harder. There are things that, yeah, have plus 7, plus 8, plus 9, plus 10 to attack as you start getting up there. Um, but so even this thing that has a plus 10 to attack, if you've now pushed your AC to 21 or above, they've got less than 50% chance or something. You know? Yeah, their 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 chance of hitting you now is is a drop to uh, you know, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, you throw something like a dodge action or something like that oh, on yeah. top of it, and then that you really do have this sort of, mm. and I think it's just a it's just one of those things. I remember as a kid, of course, we used to have armor class that went the other direction. Um, having a negative armor class back in the days of Thaco, anything below zero was like insane. How did you get that? How'd you get minus three? So today it's sort of the opposite, you know, getting above 21 becomes uh, eyebrow raising for almost anybody in D&D. If you yeah. say, oh yeah, my character's got 24 AC, yeah, it, people are like, what? And it's about like pushing the system to its limits, learning how you can know get these achievements maybe it's not ac maybe it's a, a skill check or whatever and seeing those bonuses and numbers go really high this is a a, a number seven is a mastery of, of understanding how to use the systems to get the numbers to their maximum be a mid maxer for once be a power gamer for a little while see how it feels yeah. and then go back well to, and, and i think um, attack rolls and ability scores are quite easy to to push into you know into crazy territories armor class is one of the hardest stat blocks we have sure for for mastering that yeah it definitely it, it shows how really demonstrating how to manipulate the system to your advantage which is a fun thing to do from time to time um something on, on a different note number six yeah number six might be a very difficult one for some people in some places of the world but uh i've had the, the privilege for this number six is play with people for whom english is a second language and maybe it, maybe it's not english maybe you're from a place that already but the idea is going to a, a table where people don't speak the same language as, as fluently you. or as fluently as you maybe they still know it and they but it, there's definitely something about playing at a table where there is a real language barrier well and D&D &D is a funny thing even amongst those who all speak English who are come from different parts of the world there's a number of very funny odd words that D&D &D has in its vocabulary mm -hmm. and uh, and I hear I've heard many different players from different you know, English-speaking players pronounce them differently. But if you're playing with people who's, you know, English is a second language, there's a whole lot in this game that is a little bit odd or confusing or, you know, isn't, is, <laughs> almost requires English as a first language to understand. Um, and so playing with a second language requires often sometimes um, rethinking how you're explaining what something is or what it does. And I find with that, it's, uh, it's a wonderful cultural awakening in terms of how the game, uh, how the game plays out at the table. I think that there is they, that there's certain things that uh, surprise me so much more, um, 
when I'm I'm playing with a a more culturally diverse table. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it just oh, there's just so many things um, from family interactions at the table, how characters view, you know, other sort of sibling figures. Um, there was this one time where we were rescuing a one of the players uh, lost uh, sister. And I would have expected, you know, them to run up to them and give them a hug and tell them how much they miss them or something like that. And the first thing this player does is show up and just start chewing them out for being such a bad, like a bad sister and getting lost and causing all these troubles that they caused. And I was like, what? Where is this coming from? Um, There's so many things that have, yeah, I've learned and enjoyed uh, and been surprised by, um, by just having people with very different cultural backgrounds. So it's not even the, the language issue. I mean, language could be an interesting thing to, to learn to play because there's a lot of universal things that come with D&D, but it is an important factor for yeah. sure. But I know what you're saying. It's the cultural side of it yeah. that's really, really And I cool. know D&D exists in translation now for, I think, like Spanish and French, and they're working on other ones. Italian but, as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about people who speak Cantonese here. So it's, uh, this is like a, you know, there is no translations for this yet. There's... Cool, you know, though. this is a long, we're a long ways away from the center of the D&D world uh, out here. So but the fact that it still exists and that we can still have these shared experiences. It's yeah. so cool. Um, oh, it, it absolutely is. And just why I think representation in these in these stories is really important, you know, to have writers yeah. from different languages and cultural backgrounds. So you can see that coming into your game, even if you're not playing a table yeah. with a bunch of different cultures right we are seeing more asian influence in the game um from more, more asian just creators asian influence, you know african um, influence and african and, i mean Ra- journey to the radiant citadel coming out soon it's yeah. super cool to see yeah um, it is great to see uh, and and i think you know for all of us as well just trying to trying to actively you know think about diversity at your table if you are lucky enough to live in a big city and to be able to place ads for players or to encourage people at the table um, even playing with more men and women mixed together, like yeah, I, I, I grew up sure. as a kid, I we I never saw a a woman player ever, um, and now play with them like every table I have. Uh, so it's super exciting to sort of see the change um, that's going on, and and to continue to lean into it. It only makes the game better. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't yet had a chance um, to play with people who speak different languages or from different cultures or different uh, sexual orientations, whatever, all of this different diversity is really, I think what I'm trying to speak to on, on point number six on our list here, bring that diversity to your table. This is, this is big league stuff. Uh, It makes, it's just, it's just so much a better game. uh, The more, the more diversity you you can find. Mm. Number five. And we're we're down to our top five people, um, speeding up a little bit. Um, so this is this is a tough one here, folks. Uh, I, many of us have gone away from this. Mm. Uh, thank you, D and D Beyond, for automatically giving us the calculating our hit points, average and, hit points. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people don't want to risk rolling ones or twos. You know, they want to have a big number on it. But hey, number five, roll your HP. Not only that, roll your stats. Use the manual rules. Oh in the my game. god, roll manual once. stats. What? At least once. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say you have to play every game this way. Um, I'm certainly a point by guy when building characters. I like that a lot. But mm. um, I like the rolling HP thing, particularly if you're gonna have one uh, sort of dynamic uh, random stat. 
Mm. Um, allow like use the mercer rule let people re-roll ones on their hit points you know or this another one i the the uh, dm i played with in the last game where we did roll hp we rolled it with advantage advantage. so we rolled basically yeah rolled uh and when you're playing a barbarian oh man seeing 12s come up on that d12 you don't get to roll a d12 very Mm. often a d12 is a beautiful dice man um and seeing a 12 come up for your hit points that is just wow and yeah, yeah there's a chance you roll two ones well you know that's D. there you go there's, um there's life, you what you gonna do uh but yeah it's uh it is fun um and rolling stats is interesting as well like, it is really interesting it yeah. takes takes me back to the olden days mm. there's different methods for it as well like maybe you understand manuals you know roll four drop one but some people go crazy you know some people you know roll a d20 and that's it you know or you know that's that's wild i can't imagine that but, yeah i uh you maybe you're hardcore and it's just three three d6 three d6 six times yeah. and and maybe you're so hardcore that you even write them down strength uh, dexterity constitution intelligence think, wisdom charisma maybe it's and you play them in that, that order maybe it's not know. that you're forcing that on your players but it's just that's the way that if you do it you, that as a person choose sure. to create your character if right? you do it that way the dice really dictate what you're playing well i mean kind of but not really i mean maybe you roll great on your i mean the, the thing is is if you you're don't want to get unlucky on that third roll getting a bad constitution is is never anything you want but i think there are still DD is now such a huge game so many subclasses so many ways to play a class that no matter what you roll you're gonna have 15 sure. different choices uh, we've just right? talked about you could play a non-combatant uh spellcaster in there where well, why not? you know you know there's things like that you don't need high attack rolls you can there's a lot of spells you can cast even if you've got a bad intelligence as a wizard that are just helpful spells there is no like saves or whatever on them they just affect creatures for whatever take magic missile you can't miss um you know i mean like there's there's lots of ways you can go around having a a bad stat um in there um some people say there's like a minimum number that you have to be able to roll like 72 or something total with all your your stats and or you know you can roll four dice lose one or ways to do it we not only do four dice lose one but we also roll seven stat blocks and dump whatever the lowest one you tend to have very heroic characters if you do that and there's many ways you can kind of do the whole manual thing but there's something very like very intimate about having the dice determine your story even before the campaign begins yeah um it's, well, it's cool having everybody everybody sitting there rolling the rolling the, oh you rolled so good or playing oh, I rolled so bad playing or, yeah with mm, the dice to yeah, start with um as you're getting the whole game going is you know it is a great way to sort of get i mean we like rolling dice people like owning dice people dice are a big part of this game um finding opportunity like that to chuck dice down and have them have serious consequences yeah. long term another for your rule if you're like, like if you're worried that you're going to roll super low stats is if a player's rolled under 70 another mercer rule i believe is that you can re-roll until you've gotten above 70 right until your total is more than 70 then it's like all right you're you're balanced or whatever right that's a, another way to approach it um so yeah number five pretty succinct roll do some more manual stuff get get dice involved in character creation it's a whole lot of fun um another thing you can do during character creation which i think is is near and dear to our hearts uh, is number four playing a gothic lineage or making a gothic sort of character yeah um, it's very very cool and, and unique and new and again the idea of lineages is fantastic it's um it's a kind of a move away from the idea of races Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean you can't still be whatever race you want on this but the lineage then kind of adds on top of that 
Now, for some situations, maybe just human works better for all of these. But at the same time, I don't see why you couldn't be a dwarf and have these things going on as well or whatever. Yeah, why not? Um, it could be even like in the future, I could see a, a system of D&D where, if you're not familiar, lineages are like these different uh, in, in the Gothic ones are Dampier and Hexblood and Reborn. Right. But I don't see why you could one pick your race, then pick your lineage. Yeah. Another level of customization. On yeah. It, right? So then you've got these two things working together. You, you downplay racial features a little bit um, and increase uh, lineage features a little bit more and why not and then you stack them together and you have or get both. some races stuff. don't get a whole lot of stuff right no. i mean to be able to play a my yeah i'm playing a fire genasi that's now also affected with you know vampirism or amazing you know whatever like again in the future with with lineages being able to do many different things you suddenly have very diverse and different looking characters that have more that they can do that speak more towards where they came from or or how they're maybe struggling with a curse or with yeah. a, a different feature a different thing maybe you're like again backgrounds could be a part of this i don't know right i'm just seeing well, and like, lineages yeah. tend to speak to very specific campaign settings oh for sure so as a dm you can make some of these your own so when we talk about use gothic ones i'm actually saying you look at the gothic ones and how they work because this actually i think informs a great deal about a more advanced direction you can take D and D, and you should try doing this. I think this is definitely like way up there on the sort of sophistication of of builds. Um, I love these ideas as well. I love the whole gothic horror thing as well. Um, Who doesn't want to play a vampire? At least you know, once? it's sort of a little bit of vampire. Uh, the hex blood in there is is also adds a whole kind of extra fun level of fey spooky weirdness going on we've talked about the reborn and why it makes the perfect robot character it does right and (laughs) we had a reborn versus warforge confrontation um and i think that was was a whole fun one and so suddenly you start looking at things like that even and you start going oh well like that would be interesting way to do you know even a non uh, a non-gothic campaign there's ways you can bring these things in if you are clever about how you transform it so it's not designed to be spooky um yeah but again it, it it turns the monster into a friend in a way right we yeah. start to empathize with these things especially in the gothic lineage i think that's a whole part of even the gothic literature from a long time it's it's been taking these scary things and making them a little bit more approachable or a little bit more empathetic somehow yeah. i think it's really interesting storytelling as well um a classic storyline if we move to number three, and this is something you have to do at least yeah. once. Uh, this is like total, like, I don't know how anybody gets off of the, how many, like I used to like, I remember being in like the middle school playground uh, yard. We've been, we've been fighting these things forever. Number three, have a plan to kill a Tarrasque. And, and you could substitute in this, like, new things, like, recently Vecna's come out no, with the stat no, block. It's got to be A few Tarrasque. things. Tarrasque is the top alpha predator in all of d and I mean, you um, see a CR 30, a big thing, so many hit points. It's it's a classic name, classic word. People say Tarrasque, and immediately you're like, well, that's the unkillable monster, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and then you say, there. well... It's actually it, very killable, if I'm being honest. I don't know why people hype it up so much. Well, you need a plan. You do need a plan. It's not you, you don't just run in with your with your greatsword and whack it in the face. Why not? Magical greatsword? I can see that working. 
Mm. Oh, yeah? Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, just you, of course not, but six no. people with magical greatswords. And, I don't know. There's, this Climbing onto its back. Is not um, right? And it's stabbing away. It's designed to be this huge, big, world-ending threat. Um, but for 20th level characters, for high level, not even 20th level, high level characters, it, works it best is manageable. 20th level. Mm -hmm. I do not think it deserves to be CR 30. I really don't. I don't know why it's got such this high it, CR value. It's got a lot of stuff going for it. Uh, you know, reflective carapace and, you know, just ability to swallow players completely. Uh, I mean, like, mm. there's there's a lot going on here that's, uh, that's really, really, really dangerous with this creature. I love introducing um, new players, though, and they'll be like, well, what's the biggest, scariest monster? Because, of course, they want to know that. And yeah. it is, they see this, and it is like, wow. Well, I think that's what it is. I mean, that's no the way, thing. Everybody, yeah. I think maybe that's what everybody, you know, there is a question when you start thinking, okay, we're fighting and stuff in this game. Is there in this game something at the very top what's what is it and and maybe this is again there's a debate you could sit down and argue maybe there are things that might be tougher or more scary than tarask but it's for for most part it's the name it's the word it's the thing that that you learn it's its name and then suddenly you fear it um it is yeah it is going to be hard to kill but not impossible and like you said with the right level characters and once again, we go back to this idea. We've talked about this in previous, uh, you know, on the list, you know, setting up a 20th level fight of some sort, maybe one that's even kind of designed to kill the players um, mm -hmm. that maybe, you know, everybody should at some point even test out their plan to kill a Tarask. Yeah. Set up a, a fun night. If you're thinking, oh, you know, maybe we can't get the whole gang together or we, I just want to get everybody together, but we don't have time to really have a campaign. Maybe we're all like, We've all got a chance to meet up on our summer holidays or something. We just have like time to play one game of D and D. Um, maybe we don't even want something bigger to involve the plot. We just like, nope. Here's it going to be. We've got a Tarask. Maybe you find a cool mini or some substitute for it. Something you plop on a big ass map, mm. and uh, and you yeah, you let everybody sort of put a plan together for half an hour. And then you test it out, three, two, one, go, and see if they can fight a Tarask or if they're all just going to die. It, it's a fun one, for sure. Um, and it's a must-do. It's This is really a thing you got to do in D&D &D at least once. Yeah. Maybe you fail, but make a plan to take on a Tarask. Give it a whirl. It's a fun 20th of a one-shot, easy setup. And it's, and it's, a, it's a bit of a thought, a, a bit of a, you know, it can. it's a bit of a thought experiment as well. Like when you have to sort of say, okay, well, what, what would our plan be? What would be the ideal characters to build? What sort of spells would we use? What kind of things? And to sort of really sit metagame the heck out of it for a while. It's, it's, a, it's a fun thing for people who've come to know a lot more about D&D, &D, uh, intermediate players who've learned a lot of things, uh, who want to sort of start putting together some interesting ideas and test some stuff out. Uh, yeah, go try and kill a Tarask. It's a great one. And once you've killed one, I mean, that's a, that's a thing to brag about. Oh, for sure. Um, Me and my friends killed a Tarask once. Oh, yeah. Nobody's uh, going to believe you. No, yeah, no, of course not. But if you're doing this fight and in high-level silly fights where people can do all sorts of crazy amounts of damage and spells and fun effects, um, you'll inevitably, if you play the game, come to number two. And this is really yeah, this a, is... a testament to the success. No matter, like, maybe you play crunchy rules, maybe you don't. Maybe you have certain table rules, maybe you don't. No matter what you do in playing D&D, you know you're having a successful time if you can do number two, which is to make everyone at the table laugh. Yeah, uh, this is, we've put this at the very, almost the very top of our, our, our list of things here because uh, what is D&D &D without laughter? 
Mm. Um, I know a lot of us want serious games or, but no matter how serious your game is like the, the thing that people don't understand about tabletop role-playing games, what they don't understand about D and D often if on the outside of it is how much you laugh at the table. How much, how funny it is. It's a funny game. And, and I think that that is, if you have not yet done this and I'm, I'm, I don't know how you'd, you'd not like, I'm not sure how any game of D and D is played without laughter. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is, this is the thing to always as a, to remember as a DM, as a player. And it's not to say we're, we're encouraging you to make your game spoofy or goofy or wacky, although that's fun to do sometimes as well. Yeah, time to time, have a um, laugh, you know? but it, it definitely, you, you, there should be laughter at the table, even in a scary game, you should actually intersperse it with some laughter. It'll mm-hmm. make the scarier moments more scary. Yeah. Uh, people need a breath of air. You yeah, know? they do. And even in intense games where scary and sad things are happening, intersperse them with, with laughter, you know, players will naturally want to release the tension with, yeah. a joke and, and here or there and the best times i've had at a table are when my players like we have to like take a five minute break because we're just giggling too much right it's it's a great time it's what we play D for partly it's what i play D for as yeah. well it's it's just it's a good time and a lot of the moments are are not pre-planned um, no they they have they happen spontaneously you can't yeah prepare well, a joke as a dm a as a dm you can like write some puns in or you can or watch you some can goofy make a funny NPCs NPC and, with a weird voice and, and you can do some stuff like the that funniest moments um, will happen when you're not expecting it but yeah right? they won't get the the laugh quite the same way as just those spontaneous moments and you just lean into it let people laugh i mean it's, laugh, and even yeah. like milk it a little bit it's sure. it's good um, that is the good times of D&D and why we keep coming back and why we play it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not about the min-max. It's not about the stat blocks. Well, it's a little it's, bit about that, yeah. but it's well, about it's, the laughter as well. It's about all the 100 things we've already talked about mm-hmm. and and much, much more. Um, you know, these lists could go on forever. We, you know, we will keep podcasting as long as there are, are things to talk about. And I don't know if Episode we'll ever... Episode 200, we'll have another 200 things <laughs> we'll for you. Probably. Oh, gosh. Um, we'll worry about that when we get there. But, um, but yeah, that, I suppose, brings us to number one on our list. We're finally there, folks. If you have stayed with us through the eight hours of counting down you stayed us with us through the hundreds of hours oh i sent you so much hugs uh thank you so thank much you for, for being a part of this all the way here uh, you are the real heroes of D. Mm-hmm. um I, we know you're out there we know you're listening thank you so much uh from the bottom of my heart i uh yeah. i i i just yeah i'm so grateful and if you want to keep sharing that love like we have number one yeah create a dnd podcast with someone you love yeah, this is something that we found is especially um, important and um, it, it shows love for the game, love for people that you, you play with. If you have a close relationship with a family member, with a friend, you've got a, enough time to sit down and talk about it. There's always more the need for more voices in this well, space. And, and it's not even the broadcast. Like, at the end of the day, even if nobody else out there was listening to what we're doing right now, the this, re- still be happening, this recording right? of you and I sitting here talking about D and D is amazing. Like listening back to this, you know, years from now or whatever, will warm my heart. Maybe we're on sixth edition by that point, mm-hmm. and we'll listen back to this, and we'll and you'll go, be all grouchy. And we'll be like, about, yeah. see, wasn't it like in, a, in episode ninety-seven? I said they should do this, and look, they went and did it. I don't know, but w- there's a historical record to it. But there's even a it's a chance of just hearing your voice again and thinking, oh yeah, that was Jack and I talking about, mm-hmm. you know, something we both cared about. Um, 
and we, we argue sometimes, but we laugh most of the time. We don't always see eye to eye on it, but most of the time we do. Maybe you um, change my mind or I change your yeah, or whatever. And, it's, and maybe somewhere out there listening, someone listening is inspired to you know get a microphone and and say how they feel or change their own game or, or you know start playing D and I mean really that's my yeah, wish yeah. is to spread yeah. the importance and how how much this game means to me and to us absolutely and if and if you have been inspired to start your own podcast uh, by us like send us an email I'm, I'm happy to listen to your podcast too so yeah we'll, mm. we'll definitely uh the reciprocate love. the love and uh and yeah hopefully we're uh Hopefully we're still doing this another hundred episodes or, or even as another year from now. I don't know. Like mm. we just uh, keep it going for as long as we can. And uh, out there the same for all of you. I hope that uh, that your your time spent playing D&D can go on for as long as it possibly can. <sighs> all right, folks. Thank you for joining us on this monumental journey, journey. of 101 things all summer long. Um Next week, we'll uh, try and get back to doing, I don't know. What we so, love. Gosh, there's so many things we haven't been able to do because we've been doing this. There's been UA come out. There's new book announcements. There's all sorts of things that we uh, probably need now to kind of go back and dig into and sort of, you know, see what's going on with this stuff and sort of start talking about that and getting back to uh, our regular podcast and maybe even doing some, like, new character builds. Or, oh, yeah. You know, I know Lots we've been, of new stuff we've been on playing the around with some ideas on that, and I'll have some new campaigns I'm starting up, and yeah, we got tons and tons of stuff to, to dig into soon. So stay tuned for all that, folks. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.